0: Welcome to The Spot On Podcast, brought to you by MScan, the Melanoma Skin Cancer Advocacy Network. The show gives you a baseline understanding and knowledge about skin cancer to help navigate that journey ahead through diagnosis and treatment. As we continue this series on well-being and mental health on The Spot On Podcast by MScan, we bring you today in this episode, a very special patient story. I'm joined by Pauline Ryan, A melanoma patient and advocate for those impacted by a melanoma diagnosis. In this episode, I'm also joined by her husband, Carl Morehouse, and they share their unique journey with Pauline's skin cancer diagnosis, showing us the power of teamwork, understanding, and love in the face of adversity. Hello, Pauline and Carl. Thanks so much for joining.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Thank you. Good to have a chat. I'm Keen to learn more about your story, Pauline, but also hear from you, Carl, too, and hear this broader impact on family. But firstly, Pauline, tell me a little bit more about who you are and the family and what you do.
1: Yeah, so I am married to Carl, who's with us today, obviously, Um, and we have two beautiful daughters, and I actually come from a bigger family, so I'm one of eight kids, and started off as a nurse way back when now, I don't want to admit how old I am. And then sort of, you know, moved into the non-for-profit sector and I've done some work in patient support space and some program, healthcare programs. And so Carl and I have been pretty lucky in that with our two daughters, we got pregnant easily. And so we had our first daughter, Abigail, in 2021, um, and then our second daughter was born in December. I think it was around November last year. Uh, I was about 30, I think it was about 36 weeks or 37 weeks pregnant at the time. And I had two people in one week say, "Oh, have you had that mole at your ne- your neck looked at?" And it was one of those things where I kind of had thought about oh, mine's not great. And my daughter had picked at it, and it started bleeding. And I was like, "Oh, that's not that's not good." But you know how you kind of just like, I'm thinking, I need to just quickly get everything ready. We're about to have a second child. I'm pregnant. I'm not really sleeping properly. And yeah, now's a good time. <laughs> yeah, like. And I think that's kind of one of those things like when you're you you know, you're a mum, you kind of just think about everything else. Sure. And I'm already thinking about, okay, how am I going to like bath two children? <laughs> how am I going to do these things? Because that's kind of where my headspace would mm. go. And so, it was one of those things like and then I just lay there in bed one night and I said to Carl, I actually think it is melanoma. Oh, no. And I just had this like sense of do come out, wash over me. I can't describe mm. the feeling. And so, I actually booked in while I was in bed to go get it checked. And so, I got in to see someone. And I went in and she's like, look, I'll need someone else to take it out. And so I had to come back a week later. Um, and when I saw this doctor, he said, look, I think that actually might be a melanoma. I'm going to do uh, a biopsy and then we'll get back to you. And from there, um, I ended up getting a call on a Friday afternoon at about 4.30, which mm. is not what you want, to be told that, yes, it is melanoma. And I just literally burst into tears. Um, my sister was there at the time. Carl was coming home from work, I think, and I had my other daughter there and I just cried because I kind of knew how severe, like, -hmm. melanomas can be. And I actually remember calling my obstetrician because I love my obstetrician. And he just said to me, oh, bugger. And I was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to describe it. So, yeah, from there, we initially were told, like, I was a stage three diagnosis despite not having Mm -hmm. other tests. So, the nursing me was like, this doesn't really make sense. So, I ended up calling an old work colleague who got me to see a melanoma specialist for the next Tuesday. So, after the Friday it happened, and he had said to me, Look, we don't, we're not stage three. And um, we think it's probably just stage two, but you're going to need an operation. And so, from there, I kind of just went into a bit of a stress. Do you think that just was kind of stressed from there on, Carl? Like, yeah.
2: Yeah. I think it was the, it wasn't just the, obviously, pregnant. Our daughter was due to be born very shortly and conversations between both medical specialists, the obstetrician and melanoma specialist, to go, okay, yeah, when are we going to get this thing cut out and what else do we have to do? And then all of a sudden it's not mm. just a stressful post-baby period, but then you've got to weigh up adding on an additional surgery or adding on you know, extra scans and things like that. So that started to throw things out of whack.
1: Yeah. And so, like, I ended up, there was one morning, like, where I just was crying. I was on the floor crying. I was so upset. I'd had our baby and I, I can't even, I don't even know. Like, I literally just felt, I think I felt defeated a bit, maybe, because I knew I was going into hospital. They had offered me to have a sentinel lymph node biopsy, which would involve radiation. And because I was breastfeeding, it was like, oh, like having to leave my baby yeah. just for the operation. I felt really, I felt, bad like I felt guilty plus the fact that then it was you know an overnight stay if I was going to have a biopsy as well and one of the things I kind of you know talking to the specialist was look the outcomes we sort of talked about you know from a a medical point of view around outcomes what's going to be different and what will change and one of the things was it's just too stressful for me to cope with right now having to go on and have a further biopsy so we did actually just leave it there and then from there we We kind of settled, didn't we, Carl? Like after that. Yeah. Um and then one day I just and I think my baby was about three, three and a half months old at the time. I just sort of felt so I had a smaller scar Mm -hmm. than what I've got now, but I just felt a lump and I was like, Oh crap and I just knew straight away, I'm like, Okay, that's my lymph node, the melanoma's in there. But then obviously Carl's was going to meet Pauline, no, we need to wait. And like I, I ended up emailing my specialist and he emailed me back that night saying coming tomorrow morning and then from there it was just starting to do the whole biopsy um scan sort of things and I ended up having like three different biopsies and they also that found that my thyroid looked suspicious so then there's the potential that I might have thyroid cancer on top of that. So I might need two lots or one big surgery. Um so yeah it was just a lot of coordinating in between breastfeeding. Um, scans and
0: biopsies that was when you mentioned before that it it almost felt a a bit guilty potentially going in for scans and being overnight that's such a mum thing to say at least i find it's that you know and and you've got other things to worry more important things to worry about sometimes it feels like but when it comes to your own health that's that that should be the most important thing as well i mean everything's important it must be a a, a really hard thing to prioritize in such an important part of your life being the, the pregnancy of your kids
1: yeah i completely agree and i kind of i still feel a bit guilty to be honest, and I was talking to a friend about this yesterday, that my postnatal period with my second daughter has been taken up with this because I kind of feel like I haven't given her everything that I wanted to. And like the experience that maybe I had with my first daughter, Um, you know, I've even talked about I had to stop breastfeeding because I had to start treatment and I actually didn't care. Like I said with Carl, if I can breastfeed, I'm going to breastfeed. If I can't, I'm going to go to formula because I, I don't, I don't think there's a difference, but I think like, when the decision's taken away from you, mm. you know, it is a really nice bonding experience when you do breastfeed. And I kind of, I still feel like I carry a little bit of guilt around that. Um, you can see like I'm getting a bit emotional about it because I think it's still something I need to work through because I can rationalise and I can go, this was my health. This was my, my livelihood. I needed to do this to be here as a mum for her for the next, you know, mm. 50 years or however long. But... I still kind of think, I feel bad. Like, it's really hard yeah. to explain, I suppose, yeah.
0: I imagine it feels like a remarkably isolating experience. You know, you, th- there'd be many others that would grapple with the really difficult feelings like this. And, and I guess one thing, Kyle, that that's uh, a really important job that you play in this point too. Tell me a little bit more about from from your side, you know, hearing the, that Pauline has, has cancer and all the things you need to do. What was that like?
2: Yeah, so when the first diagnosis came through, yeah, I came home from work, and I remember Pauline sitting outside in, in tears with her sister there. And I was just trying to, obviously, Pauline being thirty-seven weeks pregnant, she took it very rationally, Yeah, you know, straight playing field. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was, and I was just trying to just, I guess, keep level head and just go, look, we don't know the full diagnosis. You don't know there's multiple stages of level three. We don't know which one it is. We can wait and find out. It, it, it's, it doesn't have to be the worst case. It could be a best case you know police looking up up mortality rates and things like that and i'm trying to sort of redirect and go look let's just we're going to handle ourselves let's just try and and dial (laughs) it and when we got the the more positive result the next week saying yes actually i thought it was stage one was you know stage two was lower level and it was significantly better outcomes was like quite a bit of relief because it was like okay that's one less stressful thing to worry about but at the same time we do have to consider surgery options and whatever else but let's just get the baby out we have to we have get never born and once Nev's out, out of the way, we can then start worrying about this down the track. But when the, the second diagnosis came through, that was sort of a bit harder in that it was, okay, this is actually quite serious. And I was probably more focused on, okay, how am I going to look after my girls? What do I need to do? And there was a, a level of shock that was more sort of, I think, I probably internalised and just sort of really threw myself at making sure that everybody in the household was, mm. was good and being looked after. And for me... Having Abby being at the age that she was, I had to. I was looking pretty much after Abby. It was divide and conquer to get get through what we were going through. Um, so, but now it was actually also a chance for me to actually get to Bond with Nev. So, there was a, a, a small positive side from that point of view. But at the same time, it was a lot more consuming on on yeah my downtime and whatever else. I remember the, that that was actually I was on annual leave when this second bout happened. So it was. Sort of mm. kind of fortunate that I didn't have to worry about work. I was able to just go with the flow and organize everything around when we could get it in. And if we could get it in, it the next day and have to drop everything, that was not a problem. So I was I was I was lucky from that point of view. But at the same time, it was yeah, it was quite challenging. And, and the load at home did increase. And it yeah, as Pauline went through therapies, it was it, it did yeah yeah, it, 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 it was some stressful moments. But at the same time, it was. It was manageable from my
1: point of view. Do you know what was funny? I don't know if I've told you this, but I called your brother and I was like, I'm worried about Carl, how Carl's going to manage all this and making sure I'm like, can you talk to Carl and make sure he's okay? Because I know Carl internalizes Uh things. So part of my stress was also worried about Carl and his emotions and he was kind of doing the same thing for me. And I'm like, I'll be okay if Carl's okay. Because Carl's like my anchor in the world, like I think. We would say that early on in our relationship we just had this level of comfort like on our second date i put my head on his shoulder and i was just like oh my god this is like peace and so we've just i've just had this comfort i don't know i can't explain it with him but you know we, i think we're very lucky yeah. with our bond and it's funny because like i was so worried about him being okay more than myself
0: i was gonna say you you're probably more worried about each other <laughs> rather than yourselves and probably both needed to, to spend a little bit of time on yourselves as well. But as well, I think about that carer role and, and Pauline, you, you touched on this a few times, You're, you've got a medical background. So you know, how do you think your experiences going through this process would differ from someone who maybe didn't have a, a medical background?
1: So I think one of the things I suppose firstly is around, I suppose, my health literacy. So I, I understand medical jargon. I know what the tests are. And I kind of do understand the process. So I, I did a bit, uh, quite a long stint in cardiothoracic where you would see lung cancer patients and you'd go through and I knew the process when you had a cancer diagnosis, what would happen. So I talked rationally. I knew what the steps were. I still think emotionally going through that is a different thing. And I think my expectation of how I would cope probably wasn't where it was. I think I probably expected more of myself. I expected me to cope a bit better. I'm, that's perhaps speaking to a bit of my personality as well. But I feel like I was also really lucky in that I really do have a great support network of people that I used to work with or I have worked with or do work with. And a lot of them were sort of pulling strings to help me get stuff sorted. So I do acknowledge that with my background actually came a bit of a level of privilege, um, which was actually kind of nice, to be honest. Um, and, like, you know, and these people were – providing not only sort of those support getting the appointments but also their, a bit of, yeah. you know, psychological support oh. as well. I look on some of the support groups that I'm on and some of the questions or the challenges that people face and one of the things that I know that for me that I'm really lucky is that I do understand the system and how it works and the fact that it is really segregated. So a lot of people that come through the health system will, will notice that, there's so many silos operating separately and I kind of know how to connect those silos a bit better than normal, but the, you a know, person without a healthcare background. So I think that's probably made it a little bit more easy for me
0: as well. I imagine too for you, Carl, there'd be a few responsibilities of all the logistical stuff and navigating that healthcare system. How did you find it from the the carer's point of view?
2: Look, as Pauline was saying, it was for me... I didn't really have to worry about that, to be honest, because she had those contacts. And again, being on annual leave, it was literally just, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of the girls. You know, I, I, my schedule's pretty clean. We get a scan here, we get a scan here, we'll go, we drive wherever we need to drive to get that scan done. And so I can imagine how challenging it would be, you know, hearing and speaking to other people who've gone through the, the process and even some of Pauline's friends who have been there, done that, or there was, I think it was one of Pauline's friends who was, I think, waiting for a scan at the same time as Pauline was able to just go, hey, I need this done now. And, yeah, the, the privilege of actually being able to navigate that health network mm. uh, and call in favours, it definitely made the process easier. But I can imagine how hard it would be and how challenging it would be if, if you didn't have that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it would seriously add another layer of complexity to like the care, example, or your family or your loved one. Because I think, like, when you're in that state as well, I know I wasn't thinking clearly So trying to sort out some of those things would be even harder or Mm -hmm. more challenging, and I feel like that would actually fall on your loved one and actually make it a lot more challenging.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, I guess that that puts you in a position then to understand kind of firsthand what that experience would be like for someone that's, you know, perhaps received a diagnosis for skin cancer or melanoma. Do you have advice for anyone that might have received a diagnosis of melanoma or another type of skin cancer, Pauline, and and what to do in that situation?
1: So, look, the first thing is don't Google. Google <laughs> is not your friend. Mm. And I think one of the things people need to be mindful of with Googling as well is you'll come up with this information, but can you actually decipher or critically evaluate it? Like, do you have a background that you can actually look at this and say that's actually factual? Mm. So I think that's important. I think one of the, f- the first things is about, I think it's about acknowledging how you feel. And actually sort of having that moment to grieve or be angry, go through those emotions that you're feeling and I suppose find your people that you're comfortable to share that information because Carl and I used to have this, you know, we, we have this ritual where like the end of the day, it's like a little huddle. We would sit down the girls have gone to sleep and we just, I would just vent about the day he would just vent and it was like a check in and say, how are you going physically, emotionally? What are we got? to what's our next battle essentially sometimes that battle is just getting the girls to sleep but um so i think you know it's leveraging those support networks that you have is really really important and i think you know i wrote a few more things in the blog about accessing mental health support if you can i have an uncle who's now retired but he was a guardian oncologist and i'd actually talked to him and he sort of talked to me about the fact that there's oncologists who specialise, uh, psychologists who specialise in the mm-hmm. oncology field. So I think that was really important because I think, you know, it's kind of like when you have a postpartum depression, you want to see someone who specialises yeah. in postpartum depression. So I kind of found that really helpful to know that they're available, those sort of mental health professionals and that's something I tapped into just to help me work through my emotions and sort of trying to make sure I don't end up with mm-hmm. PTSD. But I think getting back to your question around if you do have a skin cancer diagnosis is looking for resources from reputable organisations that can help you sort of tackle the next steps. So I know MScan has some resources. There's Melanoma Patients Australia or the Cancer Council. So I think if you're going to go and try and get information, it's about going to the right source. And I think they can also point you in the direction based on, you know, maybe if you live somewhere rural or remote about, how can you access services for you as
0: well? I want to come back to this point about mental health in a second because that's really important. But I also want to know, Carl, from your side, this carer role, the partner role is is really important too. Is there any advice or something a bit different that you might offer to someone that's supporting the person that's been diagnosed?
2: Yeah. Um, so I guess the first thing first is find solace in your own little time to relax and, and recover. Yeah, I do play. I like playing PC and playing my Xbox and things like that. And so getting a little bit of gaming time was also my downtime, my time to actually just switch off and, you know, take things out on the virtual world. But (laughs) the journey itself is the sooner you can come to grips of where you are, the easier it is to actually sort of move on, not to downplay cancer or anything like that. But I I think of I spoke to Pauline about this. I've had a few major injuries through sports myself, which have taken months to recover. And it made it easier for me to be able to recognize that, yes, this is a situation I found myself in, that I'm injured. I can't change this. Mm. My recovery program is set in stone. And I'm not magic. not magically going to wake up tomorrow and be better. It's going to take step by step by step. So focusing on those individual steps, you know, what's coming up next and focusing on getting through that and working towards that. And it's, you know, it's a long journey, but it's a lot easier if you stop thinking that automatically it's going to just become better overnight and just work towards the, you know, the individual scans or the biopsies and they're sent in the process. You've got your immunotherapy coming up. Okay, we're going to focus on getting to that and then recovering from that. And then we've got the next one coming up where we, we know what's going to happen here because we've done it before, so we can at least prepare a little bit better. And I think so, it's a journey in that regard uh, um, for, for people to go on but at the same time to recognise that there is process in place and just follow that process trust your specialist trust mm. um the people around you to um, that they will give you their best support yeah don't be afraid to to reach out for help um I, and my parents i think my, this is the first time my parents have actually been punctual was when well. i asked them to come and help out some things so that was all um, <laughs> uh, yeah take the girls for a walk I, I remember one afternoon abby was absolutely just refused to go for a nap and i just had to Pauline's parents came over and took the girls for a 30-minute walk so I could just have a nap on the couch, and that was, mm. that was something that I needed. But don't be afraid to ask for help in situations like that. I didn't do too much research. I'm, Pauline's got the, the medical background and knows everything, and, and I felt that, yeah, Dr. Google wasn't going to help me in any way, shape, or form. So yeah, just mm. trust the specialist, follow their recommendations, and you'll get there.
0: Such great advice, you know, supporting, leaning into that support network, be it family or, or people with, that you've got available to you, but also importantly, trusting in those healthcare professionals. I imagine that comes back to, to this point around mental health as well, Pauline, of, um, you know, how, um, address those areas particularly. I'm interested, interested to know what that journey looks like for you from the mental health side, from the point of diagnosis up to now, how have things changed?
1: So I think, I don't know that having this diagnosis or being told you have cancer when you have a newborn, I don't know that anyone could handle it rationally or not. (laughs) Like I think you're tired, your hormones are crazy. So I think in the scheme of things I probably did all right. Um, But having said that, I do still carry a level of guilt about how it's sort of manifested in the postnatal period and I wish I'd got onto it sooner. So I would say that my anxiety throughout when I started, you know, with the diagnosis, then going through appointments, scans, because I don't know, if, I'm sure other people would say this, but when you say have a biopsy and then you're waiting for the, the results, it is mm. one of the worst periods. It's just that that uncertainty. I never have been comfortable with that. And we had a – we got the all clear back in July and then a couple of weeks after I had a scan, I said, oh, actually, something might look a bit suspicious, so we need to do an ultrasound. And for me, then going back to that uncertainty period, I was like, oh, God, like this is really hard. So I think I probably managed it a bit better than last time, but I don't know that I'll ever manage those periods of uncertainty that well. But what I have done is – through you know i'm um, talking to a psychologist is actually just really tried to focus on myself and practices that will help me um so mindfulness, for example doing meditation she my psychologist would say to me you have to do medication me- meditation at the start of the day and i was like i've got like two <laughs> young babies so i don't know how i'm meant to be doing that like they and she's like you are not like she said it more gently than Mm. this but you're not the first mother that's been diagnosed with cancer with babies like this is you prioritizing yourself and i feel like in some ways i needed permission for someone to say i need to prioritize myself so i think that was an important thing for me and i think meditation i i I actually talked to a mentor and he was saying you really should look at doing a proper meditation course to do it properly because he said it's one of those things when you can do it properly you actually do see more benefits from it um, so that's something I'm going to look into but um, you know I found that swimming's actually really nice for me I feel like it's a good breathing exercise it's getting out exercising I can go down the road it takes two minutes and just swim laps and I don't think I'm a great I wouldn't say I, I was eloquent people might look at me and go she's perfect technique's <laughs> a bit interesting maybe like Phoebe or you know Phoebe ran off my swim- <laughs> friends I'm probably swimming like that but I don't care um, and so I think like Doing that and Carl just going quick jump down the road and doing swims has been really good. I think exercising and I know these things like, you know, eating well and um, all those mm. sort of things, it's like it's kind of goes back to the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. These are the things you actually have to focus on and in a way you only have a capacity to focus on those things early on. It's literally like, you know, I, I think I, I spoke about to one of my friends like when I was going through immunotherapy, like, the first week afterwards, because I was having two different drugs together, I would—I just felt like completely wiped out. And that's on top of having our baby who, you know, he's still doing feeds overnight. She was still sleeping in our room. We had our 18-month-old who she is a firecracker, but she, even my mum said who had eight kids, gosh, she has a lot of energy, like, about her, but she's hilarious. Like, she's, oh, my God, she's amazing. So I kind of was just, like, exhausted and so to get through and think about what I'm going to do mm. in six months' time was not even feasible. I would think about how am I getting to the end of today? Like, actually, how am I getting to the next nap or think something like that? Whereas now, like, I have booked a girl's trip next year and I've started doing the planning. And, yeah, so, like, I feel like my headspace has gone from, like, just being able to focus or cope with really short-term stuff to now it's like, okay, we're back to thinking about long-term goals and mm. what is that we want to achieve
0: that's got to be reassuring for somebody who might be in that situation now or find themselves in the situation where it does feel very much like you're just playing the ball. That's very much in front of you uh, and just getting to the next checkpoint. Um, you know, a
1: hundred percent. Like you literally just can't even, it's like even Carl some- would think like, I know sometimes people think about organizing dinners really hard, but like there were some days to even try and grapple with the idea of what we're going to have for dinner was like a little bit too much for me to deal with. Sure. If that makes sense. Like, yeah, it's I feel like it was really hard some days. Um
0: yeah. It's really hard in our family and, and we're not even dealing with anything other than just just <laughs> life. So that's um yeah that's relatable I'm sure for many. Yeah. Um and what I like too is that throughout this conversation, you've both kind of alluded to some really good ideas or at least reflections on how you've both worked together well as a team. If you were to flesh that out a little bit more in terms of How you'd articulate how you've worked well together as a team that others might look to utilise in in their own relationships.
1: I think with Carl and I, like, and I'm lucky, and this is probably something of my generation, is we're not having the husbands that don't do anything or help out. So I think generationally we're in a good spot. And I do think I'm really lucky that Carl has always been really hands-on or he would always try and do stuff. So I don't think that him picking up, it's not picking up the slack, But what would you, how would you phrase it, Carl? Like,
2: I feel like you... We, at the same time, we have, you know, the joke about how I took Abby for a walk and the number of people commenting about how much of an amazing father I was because I was taking my daughter for a walk and Pauline doesn't get that. You know, Pauline takes girls to the shops and nobody nobody comments on that. And and so to me, it's like, well, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm a dad. I'm supposed to look after my girls. This is part of being a dad is, is, you know, and... I'll be into this mess. Yeah, <laughs> there are times when I'm at work and I can't. There's very little that I can do. But if I'm not at work, then the girls are my priority and, and my family is my priority. Mm. And uh, this part of it is also the ongoing battle of recognizing how hard it is to look after the, the kids. Yeah, you know, it, it's I've been on annual leave for the past month and to uh, pulling jokes about how yeah how much I I probably want to wish that I'd actually be back at work because of of how hard it can be from a day-to-day basis. Mm. But it's more of, I think I do fight those battles every day of what can I do to keep Abby in there entertained till the next nap or till the next meal break? How am I going to get them through to this point here? And so for me, it's just stepping in and recognising that Pauline has a lot on her plate and making sure that she feels supported and making sure that she has the same opportunities that I have to get away from kids and have her own create her own space and comfortable in whatever she wants to do and and it's not just being selfish in regards of oh, okay well i've got the job and you're gonna have to work around me it's no it, it's we work around everybody um so- I was gonna say,
1: do you know what you did as well you took you um i made you, I, I actually nominated carl to be like the point of contact for some people because sometimes yeah. building people's questions and um, their messages and stuff is a lot
0: But I imagine, too, like thats it's not one big thing that's the tipping point for a a lot of the times. It could be the culmination of a lot of little seemingly insignificant tasks that if you feel like you're not sharing that load, it's a team sport. Yeah, uh, 100%.
1: And that's why we're so lucky. Like I said to Carl, I just don't know how I could do – I could not do this without him. What I've gone through is without him, you know, in, in spite of how wonderful our family and friends are. But, you know, even having Carl is, like, the point of contact after I had my neck dissection. So, and, like, I was in hospital. I think I was meant to be in for, like, five days, but I was, like, out of three. I was, like, three days. I'm like, I've got to get out. Mm. And, you know, Carl would be the point of contact for people, which made things easier for me. And one of the things I did do, and it was actually after advice from a girlfriend who went through um, cervical cancer a few years ago, she said to me she wished she'd told more people about it because she said she kind of she talked through it a bit more and could have shared a bit more about it with people and maybe not being so insular in the way she coped and I took that on early on because I suppose when I first got diagnosed I actually called her and said hey this is what's happening you've been through something similar what did you think helped when you were first told you yeah. had cancer and that was one of the things is about you know to, to share it and for me I kind of and not someone that felt like I would want to share everything with everyone straight away. So I think we created a group and it was a messenger group and we call it the PNC support team, health support team, oh, nice. and we'd put updates there. And so even when I was going to have immunotherapy or if I was going to have a biopsy, just sending selfies or pictures of us saying, hey, this is what's happening, this is where we're at, and then everyone had this one contact, point of contact, we put their messages in there, and then there was days when I felt really low and I'd just go through and read what people've yeah, written, like the right. really nice things. You've got this, you're amazing. And I'm like, look, I'm not amazing, but like, I'll just take that today because okay. I need that okay. little bit. Like, do you know what I mean? So I think having like people go to one spot to give you, to get information was really helpful yeah. as well. Do you reckon, Carl? Like, yeah, um,
2: absolutely.
1: And then and um,
2: a lot of questions, save a lot of messages, you know, when Pauline's having her poetry and, and yeah. back and forth, I was look. Yeah, for people, You know, one person will ask, well, oh, how's she going? It's so like, I'm still waiting. So there's no, there's not getting 10 messages to Pauline or how are you going or 10 messages to me going, oh, how's she going? It was just straight up, I'll let you know when it's done. Um, I haven't heard anything. So that, yeah, definitely that point of contact made it easier. Also, yeah, it could be not so much rude or, or curt, but just straight down the line and there's no, yeah, yeah so many different threads. There's just one point there and it's like, this is how it is and this is the information you're getting. Yeah. That's what we're willing to share.
1: And we also put in our celebration photos. So um, once I had the all clear and everything, I had what was called a scar party. So everyone came to celebrate my scar because, you know, this is my battle scar and I, I need to, you know, I'm wearing this as a badge of honour because essentially this is my survival. Like this is me being a, a survivor. And I actually had a party and, you know, Carl was, you know, we had some really nice champagne and. People came around and we posted lots of photos of us being silly and, you know, dancing and having a great time.
2: Making stories up about how you got scar.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, just going around and, like, people were like, why are you here? I'm like, I don't have cancer. Woo, let's have a toast. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we did. And it was just, it was also a really nice celebration, a way of me to say thank you to people because I am, like, really, like, fortunate that, I don't know, a lot of people seem to be really, like, love us like we love them and it's nice to acknowledge that people are there for you.
0: So good. I love, I love the scar party idea that that needs to be a more of a thing if it's not already. I think you mentioned at some point there that, that uh, you went through the process of clinical trial as well. Tell me a little bit more about what that process was like.
1: Yeah, so my specialist had suggested to me, look, there is clinical trial available for someone with stage three melanoma. He said, but I don't want to complicate things for you because you also just had a baby and a trial can make things a little bit complicated. And I was someone who comes from a healthcare background and just thought, no, I want to support clinical trials. I think that there's a lot, obviously, I know that there's really low intake of people with cancer diagnosis related to the number of trials that are actually available in Australia. We don't get enough people in clinical trials. And I was like, look, I think scientists are very smart, so let's trust them. And basically, so I was like, all right, let's go. And so I went to go in and get a clinic to join the clinical trial, which looked at neoadjuvant therapy, which is getting immunotherapy before your surgery, neck dis- or dissection or lymph node dissection. And when I went through and was talking through the criteria, one of the things they came up with was around being a woman of childbearing years. So because I am female and I am within you know, my childbearing years even though I literally just had a baby mm. you are not allowed to get pregnant on a clinical trial so my question to the the research uh, doctor that I was talking to at the time was okay so I know with my treatment immunotherapy you're not allowed to have a baby for two years that's fine because I understand the medication can you explain to me why I'm going in a clinical trial that's lasting five years if after two years Carl and I wanted to have another baby why I couldn't And she said, look, it just would involve a lot of paperwork. So it would rally you up." So I think one of the things is Mm. I could go and have a child after two years. There's nothing stopping me, but I actually had to go get an IUD, which is an intrauterine device popped in. And I was really lucky. I called my obstetrician. He was able to get it in the next week. And I then was able to start the trial straight away. But if I hadn't been able to do that, I might not have been able to get into the clinical trial or I would have had to wait longer to get an IUD popped in and it would have prolonged the, f- the time in which I, which I actually had started to receive treatment. So I think, you know, gender parity, there's a lot of realms where we need to improve equity to all the genders we have. But this was one of those ones where I was like, okay, this actually needs to be better. Like that's not okay. Yeah.
2: But it was, I couldn't get a vasectomy. Pauline had to have the IUD. Or is-
1: yeah, we even opted... Carl, our plan was Carl was going to get a vasectomy. But then after we had the second baby, I kind of was like, I really want another one. And for me, it actually was a little bit more complicated, the decision, because I was like, I know, I think I actually want another child. Like and Carl was like, nah, we're good. <laughs> um, but I kind of just was not in that headspace. So it was one of those things we had to really come to a quick decision. I had to quickly get the IED popped in so I can quickly start the trial and start treatment. Because you don't want to delay your treatment. But I also like wanted to try and give myself the best opportunity for survival. And I felt that, that would be through this clinical trial. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And that's mm-hmm. the thing. I'm just like, you think about women. So we know with melanoma, it's actually the highest incidence of cancer is between 16 to 39 year olds. So we know that it's going to specifically impact women of childbearing years but we have barriers to them actually being in a clinical trial. Yeah. So, it doesn't actually make sense. And I think, you know, we obviously need to have more people in clinical trials, but we also need to make it fair and equitable as well. And a
0: little bit more paperwork. But-
1: I don't, yeah. And I'm like, you know, and I know it's not really, it was an offhand mm. comment, but it's one of those things where like, and I've come to appreciate a lot more is like doctors don't realise the stuff that they say and the impact yes. that it can have on you. Doctors, nurses, um, I don't want to just say it's just doctors because it's not you know health professionals can say something to you and you take that on board and they haven't actually mentioned in that way or that it's just been an offhand remark but it's mm. like you have to be so conscious of what you say so important, yeah. because you know the yeah. words can help yeah there's power in what you say
0: hey lastly then thinking about um you already suggested that you've got the ability to plan a little bit more ahead than just what what dinner's going to be tonight what's next for you both
1: Um, So, yeah, I've got a girl's trip to Bali with my girlfriends and no kids or husbands, so that's pretty exciting. I have actually just joined MScan to help do some advocacy work. So, for me, I'm really passionate about trying to work around prevention, support and care, like especially around mental health support for people diagnosed with skin cancer. What what are our plans?
2: I think um, if there was anything positive that came out of this was that Pauline – got to experience I guess the patient side of it and she she learned a lot and it it sort of drives her to improve the patient she's very much a patient advocate in the the healthcare sector so for her to see some of the going through I think one of the scans there that like was a terrible experience and that needs to improve there needs to be better communication about what the patient's going to experience here so from that point of view it's just very much getting behind her and whatever she wants to do to make this experience better for people that are, that are going to go through it. So they're, they're more aware of what's going on and that it's not necessarily, it's negative, but not as bad as it can be that maybe there's you know, there's a bit more support there for people or for me, it's just making sure getting, getting behind Pauline and making sure that where she's now, she's now very driven towards this sort of thing. So making sure she's got the best uh, resources available and, yeah, yeah, she can get out of it what she wants. You
1: know what? I think that Carl and I just want to just focus on being a family of four a little bit. Like, yeah. we just want to, like, do stuff with our daughters and have a nice time. And Carl and I go on nice dates. Like, we've got a nice dinner tonight. I think it's just like, you know, my daughters were sick. And I was just lying in bed cuddling one of my daughters, snuggling her. And I was just like, I am so grateful that I can do this. Mm. But I have this moment with you that you're sick and I can be here to cuddle you. And I feel so incredibly grateful, especially for Carl, that I have this person with me and, like, we have an incredible future together and, you know, we're going to raise two very strong daughters. And it's really nice to sort of now think about giving them the best that we can as well.
0: That's such a nice message to leave the conversation on and it's great to hear that you'll be doing you know more with mscan to to share that story and, and advocate for these important issues so we'll put that link to the the blog article that you mentioned in the conversation into the show notes of this podcast episode for people to check out and um, looking forward to hearing more from you soon and, and all the best for barley next year thank you thank
1: you,
2: thank you.
0: And that's it for another episode of the spot on podcast make sure you share this episode with a friend or family member if you think they'll get some value mscan acknowledges the traditional owners and ongoing custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded the gadigal people of the eora nation remember that all the content discussed in these episodes is for information purposes please make sure you speak to a medical professional for advice relating to your own specific situation this podcast is brought to you by the melanoma and skin cancer advocacy network mscan who are providing a new, innovative approach to tackle Australia's national cancer. For more information, visit mscan.org.au.